Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to another Anatomy movie. Today, we discuss Fences, the August Wilson screenplay directed by Denzel Washington. So stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Denzel Washington back with a third movie that he directs and uh, stars in. And you know what? People are already raving the best self-directed performance ever. And you know what? I, I, um, I'm I, trying to think of what other performances could be up there. But I, I don't think they're not necessarily, you know, certainly up there. It's up there. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's we have there. Dimitri Panos, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, movie fans. Uh, it's good to be back. Welcome back. Phil, this is a, like, I haven't seen you in, like, forever. I know. It was, it's, like, uh, last year. It was a year ago. It was a year ago. <laughs> um, that's good right. Good to see you. Holidays so, are good? So much has happened. So much has <laughs> happened. Um, but I'm excited to talk about this movie. Me too. Um, I wish I had seen Hidden Figures because, you know, at some point we'll have to tell I'm sure you guys just did Hidden Figures. We did. I'm sure you guys touched a little bit about the controversy of Hidden Fences, so we'll kind of touch upon it as well, <laughs> you know just what? because we have to. I sort of kind of stayed away from it, yeah. because I knew if I did, then I'd start calling Hidden Figures Hidden Fences for the rest of the podcast. Yeah. And plus, a lot of it was a lot of, but uh, a lot of it I felt was like silliness, other than, I guess if you cry during an apology, people will take you more seriously. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> anyway, we'll but talk about we it a little bit, but... Uh, Overall, we're here to talk about the actual movie, the actual piece of work. Um, and so, I guess, overall thoughts for you, Dimitri, on Fences. Uh, well, you know, I think you'll agree in part. Like, this is an actor's movie where the performances swing for the fences and knock the ball out of the park, I think. Uh, it's a heavy-hitting drama. Uh, did we see much of anything else in 2016, especially towards the end? I mean, this is the year of depression, when it comes to movies uh and this is a heavy movie right um denzel washington is strong but something happens midway through this movie that i can't recall ever happened in a movie before psycho i know where you're going but i'll say psycho. nobody nobody dies in a shower uh but but I, i hear what you're saying but no it's viola davis in one scene one scene like up to this point, it's definitely Denzel's movie. I mean, the supporting cast is fantastic. Viola is, is, is fantastic as well. But Denzel's carrying this movie. You're watching him. You're paying attention to him on screen like you always, like uh, I would always do. Such a strong actor. But in this one scene, she literally usurps or steals the movie away from Denzel. And she becomes the tour de force of this movie. Like, she becomes who I focused on for the rest of this movie. And, uh, you know, best actress category this season, I think, is going to be so tough to call. And she should definitely be in that category. I thought she was amazing. Uh, and this movie, based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning Broadway play, which most of the cast had they came performed back. in this play. Um, you know, it, this movie does feel like a play on screen. Um, but... For me, in a bizarre kind of way, it was sort of kind of refreshing because there was dialogue. Uh, it's very dialogue-laden. And, and, and what Denzel directing, he actually stays on actors a little bit more than, than what today's ADD audience might be used to. Like, he stays on performance. And that, to me, felt fresh. It felt 
good. Uh, it made me pay attention. So what I can't wait to get into later on down the line is the merits or the demerits of the character Troy Maxim. Because mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot to discuss about thematically about this, this movie. Um, but definitely, you know, the kind of movie you, you watch those performances and they hit you hard, but in a really good way and in a cinematic way. Um, while I say it, it plays out, it can feel like a play, but to me, it really was cinematic. Uh, and it sort of kind of reminded me of like that Dustin Hoffman. I know it was a TV thing, but the death of a salesman. Mm-hmm. It had that punch to it, you know. That it was, yeah, it's very good. You don't go walking out feeling <laughs> great, but it's a very good movie. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> so much to dissect, and it's almost kind of where do you begin? But um, I'll, I'll kind of begin with an anecdote because so Denzel has been going to various screenings for Q and A's, and he'll as he, he said that he'll watch the last couple of minutes um you know and there was one in particular he, we, where there was no empty seat he sat down next to a guy and the guy was crying and he's he, you know um and and the guy said you know it, it it reminds me so much of my life and he's like are you are you cory he's like no my brother was hmm. um you know and so it's interesting that way of how people can relate to this movie. And mm-hmm. in fact, uh, Denzel's kind of described himself like early on when he, cause he saw the play, um, years ago in 87 that he felt like Corey, you know, at the time. And obviously now he's playing Troy, but, um, it, it's, it's one of those things, you know, I, I understand why, uh, the, the, the movie switches because, you know, I think it, it really is about the effect of what Troy had on the, you know, not only his family, but even, even Bono, mm-hmm. um, and, and so forth. So it, 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 it's one of those movies that that's about the overall effect, and and which is why at the end when they're kind of reminiscing and okay, what is his really legacy? Is it good or is it bad? But you know, we all fool ourselves. Um, it's it's a very deep movie um, in that way, and I think you know we we it, it kind of reminded me. I, I think perhaps a skill, if I had to do, deduce it to anything, that me, he might have learned from uh, Spike Lee when he did um, he got game. Because and that uh, you know for a long time there you're kind of rooting alongside I forget his character's names right. um, we'll call him Mr. Shuttlesworth because his son's name is Jesus Shuttlesworth um, but then towards the end you you kind of learn oh wow this this guy is a piece of shit uh-huh. you know and and here he kind of is as well and I just if, if the one thing that I did love um, it, it uh, there's just so much banter uh, kind of like a Scorsese movie you don't need to hear all of it. You just kind of get the emotion, regardless of whether you ultimately hear it, because half the time they're just rambling anyway, and especially him, he's just going on and on and on, yeah. and the, that's why her joke is like, yo, every time you tell a story, it changes differently. Something yeah. about it changes. I tell yeah. the truth. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But ultimately, you you liked it, and, and, and uh, yeah, it sounds like you liked this movie as well. Yeah, I, I think I did, you know, um, I'll, I'll summarize it in this way. Like, 20, 2016, to me, it's interesting, you know, I was debating, is it a strong year for movies or not? And it was like, you know what, it is. It was just a lot harder to find. You had to go in search of the good movies. They weren't 100% readily available. Hmm, interesting. I mean, they were there. Um, but I just found, especially towards the end of the year, uh, we talked about this a lot when we talked about Hidden Figures. Um, like... Hidden Figures, like, 
is a really is a feel good movie. And I'm like, whatever happened to the feel good movie? I need personally. I was looking for that all of 2016, and there there are some movies that I really enjoyed that would even make my top five that a lot of people might not think to put in a top five. But it was a very heavy. It was a very heavy. It's been a 2016 released some pretty heavy movies, whether it be Fences, whether it be Manchester by the Sea. You know, La La Land is getting a ton of attention, but I don't think at the end it's necessarily a very happy ending, um, so to speak. And there's a lot of drama, a lot of heavy movies. And quite honestly, I'm just tired of being depressed. I I just like... I I like to go to the movies for for entertainment value. And Manchester by the Sea, great movie... But, you know, I walked out feeling really heavy. And the same with Fences. Fences is a heavy movie. I'm surprised what, like, the, the, the posters are in black and white. Yeah. I, I could see this movie being in <clears throat> black and white and be just as enjoyable. It'd be just as strong. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. I do enjoy the cinematography in this movie is not being in black and white. But this is just a heavy movie. And there's a twist that comes in this movie. I didn't see that coming. It was after his conversation with Bono. I was like, look, dude, you got to do right by your wife. Mm-hmm. You got to end this. Like, it's where we learn that he's having an affair. And he's like, I will. And then he leaves. And he's going, and you're like, going, oh, he's actually going to go tell his wife he's having an affair. And <clears throat> no, he's telling his wife that he impregnated the woman. Which, I was like, what the? Oh, my God. Like, that was a twist for me that I was like, you got to be kidding me. And that's when uh, Viola uh, comes up with this searing monologue. You said uh, Denzel was sitting next to a guy that cried. Yeah. I got emotional. Uh, I was sitting next to these two women. I've had a lot going on in my head. And this is the first movie that I saw in 2017. And uh, I'm watching this thing and I'm not going to lie. I, I, I teared up. I, I was like, like this. And the woman next to me was like, are, are you crying? And I was like, no, I, I have something in my eye. I think it's a piece of popcorn kernel. And then I was like, fuck. <laughs> I was like, you know, <laughs> but it was just so funny that this woman, it's like the rest of the movie, she was patting my arm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I made friends uh, watching Fences. Fences didn't go up. They, they came down. Uh but it is an emotional movie, and that one scene, which to me is a twist, like the rest of the movie, it changes tone. Yeah, you know. Um, so, and that's what I mean. You know, <clears throat> it's that sort of sentiment is what drew um, Denzel to not only the play, but then to want to adapt it and so forth. And um, you know, why why this has survived for so many years? I, I mean, Denzel's gone on record to call August Wilson the Shakespeare of U.S. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and, and which notably he's actually Polish. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I found fascinating is is that Denzel was approached what over a decade ago to do this movie around two thousand five, give or take. Okay, so to do this to do this as a movie, and he looked at it and he says, you know, I'd rather do it as a play first. Uh, and it was Scott Rudin, I believe, who approached him. Yeah, Scott he's Rudin's done a big, huge. Uh, the Social Network comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, Scott Rudin. Well, number one, he's always been a he's he's a big movie producer in his own right, but he also has passion for Broadway. He 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 produces a lot of plays, and uh, he wanted Denzel 
to do this, to be in this movie, to do this movie. And Denzel said, you know what? I'd rather do it as a play. Can I do it as a play? And then I can mull things over, but I'd rather, I think this is suited for Broadway. And uh, he did a revival of it, which uh, won him an award, I believe. They got a lot of Tonys. Yeah. And so, uh, and then it was later on down the line that when he never felt comfortable, I mean, there's a whole history behind this making its jump into the big screen. Um, that goes far back where Eddie Murphy was involved. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to make this into a movie. And he wanted to play, I believe, Corey. And, you know, that never that never came to fulfillment. But this was at a time when Eddie Murphy was hot. Coming to America, he had had trading places. But, so he was attached. But, uh, you know, ultimately it fell into, I believe, the right hands. August Wilson... Uh, was criticized because August Wilson specifically said he wanted an African-American to direct this movie. And he was very, very stubborn and he never wavered. I believe uh, Barry Levinson, they tried to get on board and that never worked out. And uh, yeah, he was highly, highly protective. August Wilson was protective of this and he was stubborn and he wasn't budging at all. And he uh, unfortunately had passed. And then Denzel didn't feel that he was good enough. He didn't feel comfortable, apparently. And he was doing Magnificent Seven, and he's, I, be- I believe he had a conversation with Anton Fuqua, and he said, I think I'm ready. I think I can do this now. And uh, that, that set the ball in motion again with Scott Rudin, and he directed and acted, and he brought on cast, people he's familiar with, friendly with. And I just find that that, that sort of kind of path, I mean, it was a long time coming. I mean, the play was written a long time ago. There's a long time coming to and to, to get onto the big screen, and now Denzel has a has a deal with HBO where he's producing another nine of August Wilson's plays, which are, I believe are going to be HBO yeah. stories. He's not going to direct, but he's going to he's so going to bring them to, yeah. yeah. So it's just fascinating how to me it's it's a, it's another one of those fascinating stories of how a project gestates and how long it can happen and finding the right people. And I truly believe in this movie, they found the right director. I think so, you know, and it's been interesting to see what Denzel has directed. Uh, He did Antoine Fisher, and he really, you know, uh, obviously huge acclaim Mm -hmm. for that movie, Mm -hmm. Uh, Great Debaters, and now this. Right. So this is is his third movie. Um, What was I going to say? You know, and, and, and the interesting part, too, was... You know, it gets to, you know, especially with, with an actor like Denzel, you know, you try to balance it. Okay, like, why don't we have him on screen? But he was always very much, no, we got to be true to August Wilson and everything surrounding that. Yeah, so much so that, uh, you know, he said, like, this this story can be adapted a hundred ways. Uh-huh. And he's oh, he's invited people to adapt it for future as well. But he said, this was my take on it. Um, and I didn't want to change that much. And he... Yeah. Um, you know, he, he would joke that uh, August would talk to him at night and say, okay, oh, when he was wrestling with, um, like, the fact that she comes to his work, um, that's a huge shift from what the play was because it's her taking an action. And he was yeah. like, oh, would, would she ever do this? I don't know. And August came to him and said, and when I say August came to him, I mean, like, in his mental spiritually, yeah. spiritually sure. and said, no, go ahead. Do right. that. That makes sense for the movie. Yeah. And and, and 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 as well, I believe they worked off of 
it's it, well, it's based off of his screenplay. Yeah, August but Wilson did write a screenplay. It was like his first draft. Like he yeah. he wrote many drafts, but I believe they went back to the first draft. And Denzel said the other thing that was changed was they added a piece of dialogue uh, when he was um, up for the job promotion mm -hmm. and he was in waiting on the bench and they'll say, he'll see you now. They said that they added that line. But outside of that, he touched very little as far as what August Wilson had written on the page. Um, which again, is obviously it shows great, great respect to August Wilson. But it also takes great confidence because again, this is a play, and 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 we've seen movies before that were plays that make it up on the screen, and they they can look like plays, and sometimes that's a hindrance. Don't you agree? Uh, like absolutely, because it, it's a, it's a, <clears throat> you know I mean in many ways uh, a play is more about hearing rather than visuals as much. True, um, but I think Denzel handled that very well, and it's a confidence because. Yes, like I said before, there were times it feels like a play, the way that it's staged. But yet, due to cinematography and production design, he opened it up. He opened it up more. Viola Davis has said, you know, working in the kitchen, like which the kitchen wasn't in the play, where she had the pots and pans and had to get food. She goes, yeah, that was a whole new dynamic. It opens things up a lot more. Yeah, I, I but but to me it ended up being uh, an asset to this movie, because um, again, it, for me in that bizarre way, it just felt fresh without seeing that sort of thing. You know, last year we had the Hateful Eight, mm -hmm. which is in that one room. That very much felt like a play. Yeah. Right. This one sort of kind of transcends. It did, me. and and I, I think a lot of it has to do with that cinematography. Um, because the way they utilize it, yes, you might be in a different location, but at the same time, you spatially know of like this guy's trapped, <laughs> and they're all trapped, and that's that's why, you know, it's it's the double um, sort of meaning of offense. Yes, you can keep things out, but you also keep things in. Right, and that's what they were doing. You know, with, with you know, that's the symbolism there is that he's kept himself <clears throat> in, whether there's offense or not. Yeah, just building the fence kept him out, and his character too is very like. I felt that that character is very rich in that he's coming from this 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 crazy time in which it's just before the civil rights movement. He was in the the African American the Negro Baseball League and he did very very well. However, there was still we still had the bigotry and the race going on, but he couldn't let go. His stubbornness couldn't let go of how he believed he was treated, which he probably yeah. was treated poorly, but he couldn't see the change coming. Even though he was being told time and time again, things are changing. It's mm -hmm. not that way. It's not going to be. It's not that way anymore. Things are changing, and he would never accept that. And I found that to be a very interesting detail to that character, his stubbornness, which kept mm -hmm. him back. It kept him fenced in. And, uh, he, and by that extension, it fenced in his son, fenced in his wife. Well, you know, it, it's one of those things that, again, that, that's why this movie's so great. You kind of, hopefully, everyone kind of goes back and, and, and looks at their um, sort of life and, and can kind of see it in that way. Where basically, when you're like him and, and 
that line when he says, like, I know so many people that were way better than Jackie Robinson. And, you know, the, you know the Boston quote, I got fucked. I got fucked. And, like, you know, and, yeah, you look at it that way of, like, why him? Right. Jackie Robinson, that's the person that we were all waiting for? Why? Because he was so talented? No. He just happened to be the guy. Right. As opposed to, like, I was way better than him, and I could have been that guy, yeah. but I wasn't allowed that opportunity. And right. so, you know, you start to go down that deep, dark path of, yeah. oh, I got fucked. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and so, you, you know. And he carries that with him uh, as a badge. Um, so, but the other interesting thing about his character is when he finally gets something that he wants, which is he wants to go from being a trash man who, who, who picks up the barrels and empties it, he wants to become a driver. That's the big goal. And then when he, even when he becomes a driver, he's not happy. No. He's not happy at being a driver. He says, yeah, I'm sitting in the cab all day. And, you know, it's boring. Yeah. You know? So I found that to be an interesting, you know, play as well. Um, so, and, but you know, the other, th- that's why you know he's just so, div- uh, he he's just so multifaceted. Um, you know, the way he speaks about uh, fighting the devil, as if he is <laughs> a survivor, as if there is hope, as if like that's something to despite. Like, but okay, you know, uh, I'll take another great movie quote. You know, get busy living and get busy dying. Like, okay, you survived for now, but you're still dying. Mm-hmm. There's nothing much that you're doing. And, and so, um, you know, that came across very well and nuanced in that, in that way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that's what I think makes this like in a, one of those impactful films um, that, that actually it, it deserves to be seen on a big screen. I mean, you could watch it at home. I personally feel if you were doing that, you're doing yourself a disservice, and the movie could come off maybe a little, I hate to say it, boring, if you're watching it on a smaller medium. If you're not seeing the nuance to his direction and the cinematography and his use of close-up uh, or his use of shadow of the way that he's angling a camera and you're seeing it and, and it was shot on film, that is in part, like outside of being drawn in by performance, I was drawn into the neighborhood. I was drawn into that backyard, almost as if I were an interloper being part of the conversation, you know? And I don't think you get that, even if it's a widescreen TV, I don't think you get those nuances. Well, here's why he's so brilliant, and uh, I'll totally disagree. You know, I think think he's deliberately chose, like, if you wanted to, you can listen to this as an audio, this movie as an audio podcast. Uh, If you really wanted to. Sure. Sure. And, you know, it's going to be different. But it still works, and you'll get something different, or you could do the opposite yep. and watch it on a big screen without sound and get a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. That's what's so amazing about it is that it, it doesn't matter almost how you enjoy it. There's something to enjoy regardless. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's why it works both as a play and now as a movie is that it's it's just that well-written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And and again, I do take, um, you know, again, I, their, their, their collaboration and the people that were chosen to work on the movie and to act in the movie. But, you know, they, they, they had they hired this guy, this they hired this acclaimed playwright and screenwriter, Tony Kushner. He was hired on as a consultant to mainly advise on blocking Blocking a shot, pacing, and other issues that didn't pertain to dialogue. 
And again, that to me, it's it's like smart of that crew. It's smart of Denzel and Scott Rudin, the producer, to bring in something like that because we know we have a play. We're going to look a little like a play, but how do we break the confines? How do we break that wall so that we're still cinematic? And so bringing this guy in to help with blocking, blocking of all things, um, I, I think is, is, a, is a good testament to they took this seriously and they wanted to do their best by August Wilson yeah. and they wanted to do their best by the material. Uh, and, and, and I think in that regards, too, that they succeeded. And I think, uh, you know, it works in that way. And, you know, in that sense, blocking and almost um, the design of the set becomes yeah. synonymous because, you know, you can't block something if you don't have the set for it. And what I loved, um, when um, uh, the, the, the brother's there um, and he's asking for the $10, the $10 scene. Um, you know, she walks away into the kitchen, still part of the scene, yeah. but now distanced. Yeah. Um, and it isn't until the end when she comes back in uh, that she's like, okay, just, just give him the $10. Right. Um, and then once he does, he goes on, he, he jibber jabbers once again. But at that point, she walks back into the kitchen um, again. It's like, okay, now yeah. it's over. Yeah, she's in another room. Yeah, but she's still visually present that's, too. Yeah, and that, that's what I that's what I enjoy yeah. about it. Again, that's why it's you know you're, you're marrying cinematography, you're marrying uh, blocking as well as uh, set design. Yeah, which uh, you know, and again, they used this what you could argue as a confining set, whether it's the interior of the house or this backyard, which they didn't really venture far out. A couple of no. scenes were done in the in the street. Uh, one scene was done at his workplace where, you know, the supervisor will see you now. But other than that, it's pretty confined. And it's how do you how do you use the confined space of a kitchen and the living room and then have it seep into the backyard? The other thing, too, he uses great like he would use the, like there were many scenes that took place in the backyard. But how it was blocked, you could see who was in the kitchen paying attention to what's going on or somebody comes out the door. I thought that, too, visually, um, I, I thought cinematically, I thought it worked really well. And he would keep on looking up to that broken, look like a broken window, yeah. uh, you know. Um, so, oh, the other thing that they did add, uh, one thing that they added was the bar, mm -hmm. the bar. You know, it gave him, um, you know, how could certain scenes take place? How do we open this up? And one of the things they did was, so I put him at a bar drinking. He's still sitting alone, drinking, and Bono's friend comes to see him. You know, well, if he wasn't home, he might come to the bar to see him. He's still a friend that looks out for his buddy, but it gets him out of that backyard, and it opens it up a little bit. There so. was that scene. Um, he was supposed to meet Alberta, but uh, they actually ended up <clears throat> cutting it because a lot. Uh, the way he described it was that when you see the child, that's when you get to see Alberta. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the two are synonymous. And so they made a very conscious decision of like, this doesn't feel right. We have to take this out. Yeah. Which, again, which is interesting. I was wondering, as watching the movie, am I gonna, are we going to see Alberta? Mm -hmm. And I think it works to the film's benefit that we don't ever It's a see. Japanese technique, by the, the way. Have you ever seen those? There, there's like... I, Godzilla. Well, not even that. There, no. There's um, there's no, a movie about a wedding, and it's it's the story of a father and the bride, and it leads up to a wedding, 
and you never see the wedding and then they talk after the wedding and so it's very much like in yeah. that sort of vein right um, and i think there's multiple examples of that in in, uh, in cinema in, throughout where characters yeah. are mentioned and they have they that they, they have a a, a weight in the movie, but we never, if ever, rarely see that character in the movie. We only know of the character via reputation, yeah. um, you know. So, and that was definitely her. Like Alberta was that. Do we call it a cloud? There was that. It was that presence that was there, um, and it was the way that Alberta was described, too. Mm-hmm. That when he was with Alberta, he said. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing, I, I'm not quoting dialogue, but something to the effect of he laughed. He felt, like, happy. He, there, was a, there was a happiness in being outside of his fenced-in world. Mm-hmm. Like, that was his escape, and Alberta made him laugh. That, that was one of the things he enjoyed, if I'm correct. I, I don't remember the precise dialogue, but it had something to do with happiness. Yeah. I mean, typically, in, you know, I mean, that's ultimately why you commit adultery is that you're unhappy and rarely it's it but it's a symptom of a greater issue yeah um that they're unwilling to admit ultimately yeah and you know going into that it's like he seemed more unhappy with himself like he had a very loving wife right i mean she was a loving caring wife and she knew the man that she married and it's difficult, like, and you hear it all in that monologue. It's like, no, you're talking about you, but 18 years, I've been here for 18 years. I've been stuck in the same place. Like, you talk about being stuck. Well, I was stuck here right there with you. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, you wonder who built that fence. And at the end of the day, the way I interpret it is Troy built his fences, whether they be physical or symbolic fences. He was the one that built those fences. And, and going to Alberta was him hopping over that fence that he built mm-hmm. where he felt that he could be himself to an extent. Yeah. You know, very interesting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, but like, you know, if it, if it comes easy, then it's probably not worth it. Exactly. Also, what you know, um, all those sort of cliche things. Um, you know, I, I, I do want to talk about this. Um, the fact that um, you know what I what I love about this movie is that even though it's it's with black actors, it's and it's not only timeless, but it's um, regardless of race, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I know you know we, we, you you had mentioned it. That it, was, it was very important to August that this be told through um, you know a black director's sort of vision. But that's what I love. You know, you know I forget that this is a black movie. Yeah, you know, it, it's just kind of it's just kind of there. It sets the table, but again, why why people have really latched onto it, you know, if you're a father, if you're a son, or if you're a mother, you know, then you've kind of maybe dealt with this to an extent. Yeah, absolutely. But also getting getting the, the because there is a quote somewhere in one of the articles that I was reading. I'm trying to find it. Um, he wanted an African American. He wanted a black director because of the experience and the way that it was put is now it had nothing to really do with race but it's of, of it's a, it's of an understanding and i get it that's why a movie like the edge of 17 female director she's wonderful has this amazing voice 
I don't think that movie could have been directed by anybody else other than her. Uh, it was her voice, and she lent a lot to it. She had the understanding. I always believe that something like The Hunger Games should have gone to a female director to, to, to get that, other than you know who, whom you know, they ended up choosing. But I do understand that sometimes when there's a relationship to the material, whether it's gender, whether it's race, or whether it's the way you, you know, I think in some cases it helps. It helps... It helps shepherd that story along. And if it has something to do with experience, like because Denzel said, he and him growing up, like he wasn't allowed, quote unquote, to sit on the good furniture, yeah. so to speak, in his house. And and that to me that 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 speaks a lot. And I think too, by Denzel was at least smart by saying, you know what, I want to do the play. I wanna I wanna feel this out, because I can do this on Broadway, do it in front of an audience. It could be intense, and it took him years before he himself felt comfortable to pick this project to say, I'm going to get this done and put it on the silver screen. You know, I, 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 and again, I don't think anybody else, like, like had Barry Levinson uh, done this movie, and, and he's no stranger that this is the guy that did Rain Man. You know, um, th- this is the guy that did Diner. You know, I mean, he he in and of himself is a talented director and writer, but I don't. He wouldn't have done this, the justice that that a Denzel Washington did. Yeah, I'm trying to find a, a quote from Denzel um, that I've read earlier, and I just can't find right now. But um, if if you search up uh, Denzel Washington opens up about fences, um, you'll be able to find the article. I think it's, those words are in the title, but. He talks about, you know, when when the cast came back, um, and we mentioned o- overall most of the cast from the play that he was involved with did come back for this, uh-huh. including um, including Viola. He said we have to approach this with love, um, mm-hmm. and I wish I did have it because he goes on to kind of explain what that is. Um, regardless, but uh, you know, it, it was just so interesting to me, and, and he. You know, he was the one who actually approached Viola and the rest of them because he said, "Listen, yeah, you, know, uh, you know, through the play, we've gotten to know each other. We can right. play off each other really well." And he wanted to build upon that rather mm-hmm. than have to now create it with new actors, right. uh, which is both smart and, and great. Yeah, I think it's smart too because again, going and he into loved, the by movie, the way, he loves working with Viola. Like, yeah, you know, uh, just you know he. he they ask him all the time, like, oh, you discovered her uh, with Aunt, Aunt, Antoine, Antoine Fisher. Yeah. And he's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> like, she was great before that. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> um, I didn't know, outside of, I knew that Denzel was was uh, was um, associated with the play. Um, prior to seeing the movie, I didn't know that so many other people were involved, including Leo. I didn't know that. It was only in my research. And I was like, huh, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Right. Because they know the characters, and it, it wasn't done as a gimmick. I, I didn't find it gimmicky. The other thing too, though, is I have to say this. I have to bring this up, and I, 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 I please understand. I know that this was a the the movie the, the the play that I'm about to say is a much different play than this. But I'm going to bring up the producers. Okay, so the producers was had it was a movie first, then it became this huge hit on Broadway and everywhere. The producers, right? Then they decided to make 
a movie of the play. Okay. And they used Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, the two actors that made the roles popular on Broadway, extremely popular. And I felt that their performances were horrible in the movie. Why? Because they were acting for the cheap seats. They were like acting as if they were still in a play. They weren't acting as if they were in a movie. I felt like, why are you yelling at me? <laughs> like in a movie. I did not feel this from this movie at all. I felt that their performances were nuanced and catered toward movies, to film. They weren't playing for the balcony or the mezzanine people or the people in the back. They know their craft. They're talented actors, all of them. And with Denzel's camera work and cinematography, but the performances, like they didn't overact their parts. They didn't seem stagey at all. No. Right? So that's why I bring up the producers uh, because of that movie adaptation. Because if you watch that movie with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, so stagey. Yeah. And this one didn't feel that way at all. Um, <clears throat> I mean, to be honest, like, uh, I. I think the hardest thing um, for this movie would honestly be the editing process just because mm -hmm. it's like, okay, there's so many different takes and different angles. Right. What, do you, what is the most interesting? And what do you go with? Yeah. Um, so I, th I think... Uh, but, you know, Denzel kind of knew what he was going for. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he was able to cut it, if, in my opinion, very fast. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing, too, that's interesting, because he talks about this, you know, we all had the luxury of having done the play to great success. So as a director, I knew it worked. So it's just don't over-direct, don't screw it up, let her, Viola Davis, rip, and just make sure you've got the camera in the right place because she's going to bring it like she does. In this scene itself, I didn't have much talking to her i didn't have to do much talking to her maybe after she asked me what do you think and i'm like let's do another and i might have say let's try a softer one mm -hmm. you know because maybe he could notice and goes yeah you're doing this as if you're performing on stage we don't have to be that bombastic that and so they went through many takes uh even for that one scene which i don't know the stamina that viola would have to have had to get through that all. Or just before coming in here, Marissa had said she had heard that that one scene had like 20 plus takes, she said. Could you imagine trying to do that 20 times? I'm spent. I need a week off. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, well, you know, I, 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 going to starting with your earlier point, um, I, think, I think it's true in sports. Um, I think great coaches realize, especially if they have great players, you don't need to overcoach them. Mm -hmm. Just give them simple directions. Okay, here's here's the game plan one, two, and three, mm -hmm. and go out and do it. You guys are already great players. So with a cast like this, that's already done this, you guys obviously you guys have made it a success. So now here's here's what we're going to do this time, right? And go for it rather than be like, okay, do X, Y, and Z, and no, that was. I, th I think too many people that just become too controlling in a sense. And I think mm. I think when Denzel, you know. Uh, they trusted him. What was the movie we, we talked about it of like uh, the difference between uh, when you're directing? I, th I think we talked about it with Ben Affleck and the accountant, right? People okay. Were like, oh, you know. yeah. There was that guy who made that big deal about I had to sit him down and tell him there's only one director on set. Is that what? Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, and I, th I think uh, <laughs> I don't think Denzel was having any sort of conversation like that of Hey, you guys have to listen to me. I think right. I think they just respected him as an Absolutely. actor in the movie. Yeah. 
And you know, I think he did what he needed to as a director. But I don't. I don't it's a tough way to verbalize it, but I, I don't think at any point he just kind of held that over their heads of like, you have to listen to me mm-hmm. because I am the director. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, um, let's listen to me because creatively I have some ideas, and if you right. have some ideas too, yeah. and if they work, let's do it. We've been in this together. I think that's another thing too that I found somewhat refreshing in this movie. Yes, we all know who Denzel Washington is. Yes, we've seen Viola Davis before. We know who she is, but... The rest of the cast, rounding out the supporting cast, outside of uh, uh, McKelty Williamson, who we all know is a shrimp man in, uh, in Forrest Gump, okay? He's a, he's a recognizable face. He's been in a lot of movies. But people like Russell Hornsby or even that Stephen Henderson who played Jim Bono, they were new people for me to see on the screen, and it and it felt somewhat refreshing that I was seeing some new some new talent, some new actors on on the big screen. There's another thing, and it got me engaged because that Stephen Henderson gentleman who played Mono, I thought was fantastic. He was great. He was by the way, he didn't even do like I, I love <coughs> I love the moments when he's not talking. Yeah. Simply because, like, all right, I've heard this all before. Just let him talk and talk yeah. and talk, and then eventually, if I need to say something, I will. But just whatever yeah. it's easier if he just drains himself yeah and then uh jovan or is it jovan adepo who played Corey? like this kid was really solid too seeing him on screen again nobody that i'm nobody that i'm familiar with so i saw fresh faces um standing toe to toe with well acclaimed and 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 people who have cachet in the business uh in movies and these people stood right up there it's tough if you had hired the wrong kid actor. He's always to, said to go, that. Yeah. You know, I mean, he had he said that about Antoine Fisher. Of like, if I didn't get Antoine right, that movie wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. Um, in The Great Debaters, it was with the kids. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's kind of always said that. Yeah, and if you didn't cast that properly, the movie doesn't have a leg to stand on. Um, so that Ovana Depo, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, as Corey was fantastic. And the way that he was able to go toe-to-toe with Denzel, um, you know, it, it led to some tense scenes in the movie. But you, you bought it because he was such a good actor and he could carry his weight around Denzel. Because sometimes it's hard. You have a, you have a, Denzel is a presence. We've talked about this. Um, in his movies, whether he's the enforcer, or whether he's in the Magnificent Seven, or he's in a commercial movie, or what, um, uh, what's the, uh, the, the Training Day? Training Day. Yeah. I mean, he's a presence on screen. There's a reason why people like him, but he's a big presence. And if you don't have somebody, he can overshadow somebody very easily, you know. So they have to be on par. That's why I found it to be so fascinating that somebody like Viola Davis in just that one moment she takes that away and we focus on her that rarely ever happens but if you're a meek actor if you can't stand toe to toe he's going to overshadow your performance and you're not going to come across the way that you should be and that kid Hovana Depo is Corey he was fantastic I thought really really good and you felt for him you felt for him absolutely um and I know we've kind of jumped around overall, yeah. but um, do you want to talk? Let's. Why don't we talk specifically cinematography? Yes. Um, uh, <clears throat> you know, I th- 
It was an interesting. I, I said it before. Like I could see this movie in black and white, but at the same time, I liked uh, the the colors there um, were a little bit subdued, at least the way I saw it. Um, and I enjoyed that because it's like okay, yeah, it's um, it 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 it's kind of speaks to the world that he does live in. Like you could see parts. Like if if you only imagine a little bit further, you could see the beauty and the lushness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could also see it, okay, um, if you don't have that perspective, then you could see it as drab. Yeah. And that's where he was. He was caught in the middle. Yep. Um, Almost in a limbo. Yeah. Um, but, you know, okay, so let's talk about Charlotte, um, Charlotte Bruce Christensen, okay? She's Scandinavian. Oh, number one, a woman. A woman cinematographer. So uh, earlier today, I talked about, well, I was with Marissa. We talked about Hidden Figures, which also had a female DP director of photography and three percent of all cinematography slash director of photography three percent are made up of women now i don't know whether this is because this is like maybe not a main career course that a woman would want i don't know but i can tell you watching hidden figures watching fences you know this charlotte bruce christensen did an amazing job and she did girl in a train uh, which a was her first, first studio movie uh, in the States. So she was all into that, not thinking about the next project. And actually, um, she, read, she read the play, she, she read the script, and she was totally blown away. But to your point, she goes, I just felt like this could play very well, just be in a Scandinavia, where I'm from. Yeah. She goes, it, it felt like it links to Ingmar Bergman, who's famous for making black and white movies and so it's really funny that you say that being that the cinematographer or the dp she said the same thing like it could have been that way and there was a lot that she could do with the script and denzel is in new york uh he wanted to meet her it ended up being a four-hour intense passionate meeting in his flat in new york just talking about scenes and filmmaking and i think that that's amazing and when it was talked about, well, what research did she do? Um, it was discussed, like, you know, did she have to go to Pittsburgh? And she says, no, I really stayed to the script, kind of digging into the script. And she hadn't even seen the play at the time. And then went to the Lincoln Center. Um, and she wanted to make sure they had all the patients to sit down and talk about all these things. It was digging into the story and August Wilson's work more than going to the location, which, again... It could have been any town. It could have been New York. It could have been anywhere. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be in Pittsburgh. And I like that her take on it was, no, I didn't have to go to Pittsburgh to get an idea of what Pittsburgh looked like. I wanted to read the script to get an idea what this, what I'm going to think this movie is going to look like and what it sets apart. And I think, too, that, that Denzel, too, had a very specific way in which he wanted this movie uh, uh, to look and feel. Um, it also was shot on 35 millimeter. And she believes that there was a very big 35 millimeter project. Um, you know, she was talking that 35 millimeter uh, adds a texture in its film, and it's basically a backyard. Uh, and she goes on about close-ups, which we talked about, and the claustrophobic house and being so tight. So she felt that texture was very, very important, and that you can only really get that with working in 35 millimeter. It's very interesting because when we talked about hidden figures, they also used the, the, the female. DP. She uh, she also used film because she felt 
when it came to texture, it captured the time period uh, mm. very well. So this it does make it look a little more, it's an old fashioned way of working where you're by the camera and you look on the set and don't disappear into a video village. Um, so I found that to be very interesting as well. Um, and she felt that, you know, lighting and whatnot, she finds it more difficult to manipulate that in post digitally where she doing it on film is just an easy, easier way to get that texture down. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, yeah. Very, very impressive overall. So I can't wait to. The other cool thing, too, that they did with her or that, that, that they, they allowed her to be a part of was the rehearsals. They allowed her in on the rehearsals so that. She could be a fly in the wall, and she had the material, and she got a better understanding of the blocking, of what things are going to look like. And I thought, that's awesome. Well, my take on that is, well, why wouldn't you want that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, okay, uh, that's the whole idea mm -hmm. of block. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I don't know if everyone applies this, but I learned it a long time ago. Block light shoe. Right. For, you know, when you get it on set... Like, obviously, people have rehearsed it a little bit, but sure. at first, everyone stops what they're doing. Everyone watches the blocking. Yep. Um, then the actors go in makeup, you light it, and then you shoot it. Yep. Because if no one understands the blocking, what the hell is anyone doing? <laughs> you know, that's ultimately where you're capturing is then the final blocking, now, but now with people in costume and whatever else. Mm -hmm. So you have to work around that. You can't put a camera in someone's path, right. you know, or a light. And so forth. So yeah, you got to figure great. out how you're going to light it. Sure. Based on the blocking. Yeah. So yeah, that that to me is, um, I'm just surprised why why wouldn't you want that? Yeah. You know. So I commend them for doing that. But yeah, and I think it helped. You know, and again, this is a movie. Uh, I think that 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 relies on on good cinematography. As I said at the opening of the show, there were a lot of close-ups in this movie, and. You got to get those right. You got to get the angles right. And I think too that 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 she, along with Denzel, had that they had that communication together. Like they worked very well in tandem. And and again, we always talk collaborative effort. I think the collaborative effort here, whether it's production design too, they all worked in tandem to help one another out and to make sure that they got everything <laughs> correct. Um, and I think in this case too. The wrong thing could have made this look very stagey, and it never crossed that line. I yeah. felt, and you know, we, we we sort of talk about this: the difference between when people, uh, it, it's more of a passion project for them versus a hired gun type of mentality, right? Um, you know, and I think number one, everyone's trying to elevate each other creatively, right? So if you come up with an idea, well, I try to match it with you know whatever my department is in charge of and be like ooh because of that we can do this and then there's happy accidents um the fence closing uh that was a happy accident and as Denzel says that that was august i just added the uh, the creek but um you know even the sound effect had to be the right volume because go right. too you know go too loud with it right it uh, it doesn't work right um so well here's something too uh this is Denzel talking about Charlotte Bruce Christensen he said, I wanted to shoot in a practical location so Troy could rock from the yard and through the house. It was a challenge because it's a small house. Coming from Europe, she had a whole different perspective. She's very thorough and she operates the camera well. She likes handhelds. So, for example, that scene in the dining room, 
um, was almost completely handheld. Uh, the angle was on me, but we kept it static. That was the one time he was king of the castle, and the one time Troy felt he was in charge until he wasn't. So, you know, it's so his his choice, his reasoning behind that is because she had a European flair mm. for cinematography, which, which I find very, very mm. interesting. Uh, too. Another thing that comes into play in a movie like this, and, I'm, and I know you noticed this, is editing. Mm-hmm. Editing, because not only does it, not only does editing, it keeps, you know, it's your, it's your metronome in a sense, um, your pacing, but in a movie like this, without good editing, it, again, it could look very stagey, yeah. you know, and, and what are we doing? So, uh, Hughes Winborn was the editor on this movie. Uh, and I think he did a really good job. I mean, it's a long movie. It's a long it, movie. And, and you know, um, I think, you know, the hardest part that I've found, in a sense, is for editors, um, when do you stay on someone's face and when do you not? Because typically when you stay on someone's face, it's uh, the important part of a dialogue that you just can't miss, like that you're telling story. And so with a movie like this, half of it is BS, just him right. talking. Right. And so knowing, okay, well, when do I want to go on his face to, to hear the really important parts? Right. And when is it, like, when am I going to dictate to the audience, like, oh, that's just him rambling on and yeah. on and on, and you can listen to it because it's funny, right. but you don't actually need to pay attention to no, it. No, no, and, and, it's, and it's funny that you say that, too, because that's what Denzel had to say of Hughes. Uh, Woodenborn is that he has a good sense of, of, of like, the rhythms of August Wilson's dialogue, he, he, he compares it to music, and he believed that, that Hughes had a good sense of that, and we kept that in mind. He goes, I didn't want to be literal cutting on the note in the dialogue scenes between the characters. Was the interesting question was, who to be on? And then there were monologues, so when do you cut away? How do you keep the other characters alive when, for example, Troy is doing a monologue? And he had a lot of monologues, he let's did. be honest. Bono and Rose, when do you cut to them and when do you cut to other people and why and what does that mean? And he said that Hughes was amazing at that. And he was because you mentioned it earlier. Sometimes Bono didn't have to say a word. No. But we would cut to his expression and he'd be like, oh boy, okay. You know, he, he would feel uncomfortable or he would be chuckling to himself. To cut that and to know when to insert that in. I think is 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 genius because as a play you're seeing it unfold in real time in front of you and there you get no to cuts. choose you your can, own cut. right yeah yeah exactly you have to know how are you going to elicit emotion how are you going to draw that out and if you can go to a character that you you know and, and then again that actor Bono was like well okay or you laughing and you got it and it was cut really well considering the confines of the scene that they had and also. Again, to Denzel's uh, credit, it's you got to do those pickup shots. You got to film the angle. You got to you have to know what you're going to use. And it it appears as if he gave his editor plenty to to use and utilize. So, and that's definitely because of Denzel's direction. And he was he um, he has such a sort of almost eclectic uh, mix of things he's worked on crash the help pursuit of happiness with will smith uh guardians of the galaxy pixels um we're the only two people in in the world who like that movie for what it was (laughs) yes i did 
I don't think it's, you know, it's not Oscar worthy, but, um, you know, so he's had quite a range of, of what he's been able to do. Um, and yeah, I I think he's kind of learned the craft. Oh, absolutely. When you can do a movie like, like a guardians of the galaxy and then do something as intimate as fences. Yeah. I mean, I think that says a lot from, 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 from good action and choreographing and putting together a good action scene too. Putting together a monologue scene, uh, very important. And, and as an editor, uh, you know, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure he enjoyed working on film uh, as well. You know, learning that craft. So you know, and then production design, uh, which I found interesting as well. Um, the production design, David Gropman, or Gropman, G-R-O-P-M-A-M. Um, apparently, his background is in theater, and. He and Denzel, uh, Denzel said when he first sat down, I liked his ideas and he had a total commitment to research and they found a house that was perfect. We had a lot of choices, but the right house and the right street, Denzel says that street gave us length and perspective so that with CGI, we could add factories in the distance. Um, and that house was only five minutes where August Wilson lived. Did you know that? The house that they used? Five yes. minutes from where he lived. So the neighborhood itself was a character, we, and that they actually did do in Pittsburgh. But for a production designer, you know, Denzel even gives him props and said, nope, he got it. And uh, we used it literally five minutes from where August Wilson lives. But to be able to know, too, like, okay, we're going to use this street. And in the background, I want, like, that that that's that chimney or that building or or you know i want to smokestack over there i want to see the city in the background i thought that that was very interesting as well because they were really in suburbia uh not living in the city so um from from a production design standpoint i thought that the movie looked fantastic yeah and uh he's done hairspray before and a sort of musical Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not not that the defense is musical, but um, more of a play. Uh, Chocolat and Life of Pi. Yeah. So, uh, among others. But. Yeah, and Life of Pi, too, when you think about that. So this is a guy um, who came from working with Ang Lee on, on, a, on a movie that they say, to helped revolutionize 3D. So Life of Pi yeah, I mean, took place in water. Jesus. Yeah. I can't Visually. say enough about yeah, that Yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's very, you know, so he was a good person. And again, it's it's picking the right person for the role to get you know whether they're on the creative side or whether the the, the, the talent even even down to somebody like Sharon Davis uh, who's the costume designer, and she actually built like his 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 Sharon had done a period film she built my uniform and I think everything else she, he says I don't think there was anything off the rack in that movie. So everything that, that, that you see worn, Sharon, uh, the costume designer, did that. So, um, And then you talked about um, Willie, Willie D. Burton, sound mixer. Um, Denzel talked about the importance of his contribution and talking about the subtle things that Willie recorded, like the sounds of neighborhood kids uh, playing out front when Troy talks about his father. Then we slowly take the sound of the kids out and it gets quiet. Uh, he talks about then we bring back the sound of chickens in the neighborhood. Now, this I didn't know. Um, it was a different time in 1957. People in Pittsburgh had chickens. They were one foot from the south, Denzel says. They were living in the city but still agricultural at heart. Also, uh, and I didn't know this, in the Bible there's a reference to betrayal. 
Uh, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, says Jesus to St. Peter. So we had a rooster crow three times just before Troy goes into the house to tell Rose his news. Mm. So I found that symbolic uh, as well. Oh, there was another piece of symbolism that I want to talk about that I actually do, that I learned from our Coast Guard buddies who are, who are here for Finest Hours. You may have noticed there was a lot of drinking going on, a lot of drinking from pint bottles. Yeah. Okay. You may have noticed that every time they opened up a new pint bottle, they slapped the bottom of the, the, the bottle. Mm -hmm. That basically, believe it or not, uh, that is symbolizing you're getting the demons out of the alcohol. You're slapping the demons out mm -hmm. so that you will be hangover free when you, uh, when you drink that Good bottle. With that. So you turn it. Yeah, you know what? It's actually... I've done it on my bourbons and my scotches. The, other, the one thing that they've also done, uh, and I noticed this. I was like going, oh, my God, this is a real thing. They slapped the bottom, and then they, they, it looked like they gave a little bit as sacrifice to... Uh, like Which they, now they has been uh, popularized as one for my homies. <laughs> so, right? I mean, that's, if I'm to deduce anything, I think that's where that comes from. So if you, if you don't want hangover, before you open up that fresh bottle of uh, whatever your poison is, don't do it to beer. Um, slap, the, slap, with that. Slap, slap the bottom of the bottle uh, a couple of times and then open it up and you'll be hangover free that's a guarantee sort of <laughs> fair enough so I just find and again we talk about the collaborative um, we talk about the collaboration and everything that took to, to get this movie done and uh, one thing we haven't talked about I, we, we, I didn't know if you wanted when you wanted to talk music let's do music Marcelo Zarvos uh, yeah more known for TV uh, and especially good TV Ray Donovan the affair um, so you know is a composer for that so uh, not necessarily movies as much but uh, nonetheless he's done movies uh, and he worked with Anton Fuqua yeah. on Brooklyn's finest and uh, apparently he goes he, he was summoned to meet Denzel and watch the movie and he went to the Paramount lot and screened the movie by itself at this giant theater if it's the theater that I'm thinking of it's this one main theater at the towards the end like it's a it's a it's a theater theater I can't imagine being in that theater by yourself because <laughs> like, it's so cavernous um and he was supposed to talk to uh Denzel and he asked for 10 minutes to decompress because he was very moved by the film and one thing of interest about this movie and what they talked about is they didn't they wanted to purposely stay away from jazz or blues or any music that was very local and they wanted to be more universal with the music and that's what he said to Denzel and he think he was very pleased Denzel he's like that idea and concept but something else that's very interesting about this movie always in the table is very big possibility we knew we wanted music to support what was there but I knew that there was not going to be a lot of music. Do you know that the first, and I didn't, I wasn't timing it, mm. the first music cue does not come until 30 minutes into the movie. Unheard of. That's a half hour into the movie. There was no music whatsoever. And he goes, I'd never work in a movie where there's 30 minutes of movie before the music comes in. <laughs> well, how many times did we talk about it? Uh, you know, we've been in that situation where, like, okay, the movie's an hour, uh, let's say it's 90 minutes. And then we'll talk about, oh, there's 82 minutes worth of score. Right. Yeah, yeah. That leaves eight minutes of non-score. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's... 30 minutes. And, and, and he goes on to say, the first 30 minutes is almost one interrupted monologue by Troy Denzel. 
uh, there's so much energy in the performance and the words. And he said, frankly, he goes, there's no space for music. And, uh, you know, again, that's one of those things you can appreciate. Music is supposed to add. It's not supposed to take from. And, um, you know, and Denzel himself, Denzel Washington, always believed that music is going to have to fight its way into this movie because the original play doesn't have any score. And this is a movie adaptation. Um, he wanted there to be music, but it had to be in the right, right place um, because he always believed that August Wilson's words were the score. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, and he talks about how it's Shakespearean, but I just find that very interesting that not for 30 minutes there's no music cue or anything. So you just let the actors act. Absolutely, you know, and that's all the more reason why the performances have to be that riveting. Yep. Because if they're not, it falls flat. Yep. Um, absolutely. Um, all right. So why don't we sort of get into where we are now? Um, it's a little bit difficult to talk about because, in that sense, you know, we've had the Golden Globes, but we have so many award shows still coming up. Whether it's SAG, uh, the the big one, as people tout it, Oscars. Um, is the last of, of sort of that rounds out the, the ceremonies. Absolutely. Um, but uh, I, I guess a good place to start, Viola Davis chose, I guess, from my understanding, because of her busy schedule, she thought it would be more beneficial to her to just go off as a supporting actress rather than, you know, uh, best actress. It, that It would make her life easier. Uh, well, on the contrary, I, I think she's... I mean, she won the Golden Globe. I think she's only going to continue winning awards. So if the goal was to not have to do as much work, I think she's going to be racking up these awards. Yeah, it's it's. I think I got to be honest. I think that the best actress category is going to be tough. Yeah. It's going to be tough, tough year. I mean, because you know whether I disliked or liked um, La La Land, uh, Emma Stone's performance is one that you just you cannot watch. I mean, to me, she's she's the cornerstone of that movie. Um, and again, when you have somebody like Viola Davis, uh, it, again, it's just somewhat unheard of. In one scene, she takes over the movie from Denzel Washington. In one scene. And then from there on in, it become literally, in a sense, to me, it became her movie. I watched her. To put yourself in a best... I don't know why you'd put yourself in a best support. There's, she, there is no other actress in this movie. Alberta's not off screen. Who do you, who do you give it to? The, the woman who played Alberta? You, you don't give it to the little girl. Well, she's not in the movie long enough. I, I think in some sense she's just saying, well, this is Troy's movie. Rose is supporting that vision. Is it how I could argue it, I guess? Fair enough, but if you're looking from the from, from just the technical aspect, she's the actress. She's she's the only actress in the movie. Like, there's nobody to support. Uh, uh, you know, you would say the gentleman. Um, you know, you would say that uh, the the gentleman who played Bono is supporting. Uh, Micheletti Williamson, Russell Hornsby as Lions is supporting, but she's side by side, and she equally she, she she's best actress. And it's a very strong performance. I think it could be very tough. A lot of people, too, are also saying uh, Annette Bening mm-hmm. uh, could potentially, uh, you know, be be a, be a major contender in that in that um, in that role. But right now, it comes down for me, anyways, between Emma Stone and, and Viola Davis, and what studio is going to, you know, 
throw the money at it to, to quote unquote try try to win that award. Look, I she's definitely she's best actress. That's not a supporting role. I understand that she's supporting Denzel, but I don't know. Do you agree with me or? Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> let's say this. I'm a I'm, I, I'm supporting Viola's decision. <laughs> you know, if that's her choice, then okay, so be it. Um, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I get it. So be it. But I don't. I don't know. It just seems. I think sure for SAGs, say. they definitely have to win the best ensemble. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, well, yeah, again, I would argue, too, that Hidden Figures... Is a good ensemble. Is an amazing ensemble. Um, you know, and that's why I is just that say... Why they could, is that the, why reporters have combined? <laughs> hidden fences. Hidden fences. Uh, Can't pick, um, so combine them. Yeah, I, I, I just think that even as ensemble... Again, I think we have some really heavy contenders, uh, and and it's tough. But as best actress, she deserves the accolades. She deserves the applause. Viola Davis, and you know, let's she you know if she were to win the award, I wouldn't be unhappy with it either, and I wouldn't find it to be a shocker. It wouldn't be one of those Academy Award big shocking things. It it is a gut wrenching performance, and she becomes this woman after that one scene that she becomes tougher than Troy does, and um, it's yeah. I just found her performance to be so oh my god, it was so heavy, and it. But, and it just it seeped off the silver screen with this. It was just amazing to watch. Amazing to watch. Yeah. You know. Um, well, obviously, a lot of people are uh, they're praising uh, a lot of things about it. The the cast, most notably, because again, without the cast, it, it wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. But Denzel for his performance and then his direction of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's a lot there. I'm, I'm you know it'll be very interesting. You know I don't think it's going to get the full praise that it deserves, but. At the same time, a lot there's there's a lot of great movies as you pointed out. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a ninety five percent, okay, which is pretty big. That's that that's a really fantastic number. Its cinema score is an A minus, okay, which for this kind of movie, I, I think an A. I think it's amazing that it gets an A minus. Audiences are really gravitating and liking this so we'll, we'll talk a little bit you know i do want to talk a little bit about i want to talk, talk about troy but since we're talking about we're talking about budget and all this stuff now number one this movie cost about 25 million to make which seemed on par with me i said okay so we're talking maybe 55 60 million all in depending on how you know much paramount put into its 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 advertising and and and, and distribution we're looking as of yesterday, the movie's made about $43 million, 43 plus million dollars. Um, and mind you, this was a movie that was released December 16th in limited run. So Paramount was obviously believed that they had something to do for an Academy push, Golden Globes and whatnot. And then it went wide on December 25th. So currently, we're looking at, uh, trying to think what it's... Um, it's limited 
just trying to see in its widest release we're at 2368 locations so that's for a movie like this it's a lot of locations i think 43 million dollars for a movie like this also wow. speaks something i think it speaks to the talent i think it speaks to denzel Okay, I think it's to, to, to Viola in a sense. I think a, fra of a fraction maybe to August Wilson, but I think primarily Denzel. You know, this isn't Magnificent Seven, okay, which you would expect is going to do above and beyond 43 in its, say, opening weekend. This All In has made 43. Um, people are enjoying it, and A minus means people like it and they're talking about it. And I think going into Academy Awards season of Paramount, marketing is on point they continue to they can continue to pull in some more box office and it'll remain within the top five top ten um even though this is a quote unquote it's a smaller movie that this isn't rogue one you no, know not by any means. um so you know i find that the box office in this is uh it's encouraging because people are going to it and it's original it's it's original being that, I, I say that is, I know it's adapted from a play, but I say it's original because it's not part of a franchise. And you're not going to get a sequel out of it either. You know? <laughs> so <Some> Fences? <laughs> fences, yeah. Picket, well, Picket Fences is a television show. Chain Link Fence, no. So, uh, yeah, I think a lot of, you know, how much this movie has made is can be attributed to the cast. Uh, and the performance, and I think that's what continues to get in. Now it's up to Paramount to ride the wave, to ride that momentum. Um, <clears throat> Viola just won the uh, uh, the Golden Globe, yeah. right? You know, very impassioned speech. Uh, it puts her definitely. I just think that for the Academy Awards, for the Oscars, I think it's going to be an incredibly tight race. It's going to be fascinating to see how it pans out. I think so too. I mean, believe it or not. Um, and I know this is in the spirit of which I mean this I think Hidden Fences was a great thing to get both Hidden Figures and Fences more into the limelight okay yeah, you know what I mean because it, it sucks for those individual people who made those mistakes whether it be Michael Keaton or um, the, the, the Today Show lady and I forgive me because I forget her name she is a Jenna Bush I think I think so sure yeah um you know, but but again, at the end of the day, now now people who might have otherwise missed this movie are aware of it. I am one way or, or aware of both. Yeah, in this case, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and I love the parody. You, you guys have to check it. Uh, Stephen <laughs> Colbert's um, Hidden Fences trailer. It's a fake trailer about a fence going into space. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you know, and I can tell you too, it's 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 both collaborative efforts. Um, both movies should be seen. Uh, I would see Fences first, and then go see Hidden Figures, so that because it ends on a happy note. You can really feel good about yourself. Um, being that this is a play, and there are many layers, I wanted to talk about. I wanted to, your take on Troy Maxson's character. So this 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 is not a nice guy. He's not a happy guy. No, he's not I mean, a nice guy. Uh, cheats on his wife, sires a, a, a kid with the woman that he's, you know, big sin right there. Again, my other thing was he kept, he basically kept his son from going to college. Like his son was on the verge of getting a football scholarship because he's a good football player. And this is going to open the doors for his son, Corey to go to college and get an education so long as he played football. But he, 
Denzel Troy, Troy's character, didn't want any. He didn't want him involved with sports because he felt he was so burned by baseball. <clears throat> Yet he was so burned by baseball, but every analogy he came up with in life that was dealt around baseball. You're going to strike out. Don't strike out, kid. Don't strike out. And he did some deplorable things to two of the main people in his life. You know, his, his blood child uh, there uh, and, and his wife, Rose. And he comes to pass and he becomes canonized in a sense. And to where the son, Corey, whose only option was left to him since his father kiboshed his college future, he had to join the military. It was his only option. And he comes to the house um, to tell his mom, uh, I'm not, I found that he traveled all that distance to tell his mom, I'm not going to go to the funeral, which is sort of weird. But, you know, and I, as an audience member, was going, I get it. I understand. I, he was a dick to him. He ruined, like, I'm not saying he could have a military, like, he can't have a future coming out of the military, but he could die coming out of the military. Some war was going on. He, his father ruined what could have put him on a path to, you know, not just play football, but he could have gotten an education where his father didn't even have to pay for it. And his father wasn't even proud of the fact that he was able to do this. And he ruined it all. And that, to me, was like, coupled with what he did to his right for Rose. I mean, unforgivable. Like, just unforgivable. And at the end of the movie, he was being eulogized, canonized. He was brought up into this light that he was actually going to go to heaven. And that, to me, raised questions. Like, why? Like, and this happens. Sometimes people are bad people. And then when they die, everybody talks about what a wonderful person that was. And, and this is a case. I'm like... But this guy wasn't a wonderful person. I understand. Like, I'm even surprised that the son even bothered to show up at the house to, to take the effort to tell his mom that he's not going to go, which he ends up going to the funeral. <laughs> um, Troy Max is not a likable character to me. Um, and I don't know what the intent was at the end. Was it to show falseness? Like, you know, we look at only the good things after somebody passes away. Um, well, I, th I think it's. What's, uh, what's your take? Well, what's your take? Am I alone in my assessment? What's your take? Or should I be a better person and say, well, he hope. did good things? But in this movie, in this context, I'm trying to figure out what his good things were. Well, I, th I think the good thing, the, the takeaway is don't be that person. You know, because again, some people. I think mean, I think there's. It's 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 uh, it's reflective of life in that sense of like okay if you're watching Troy and you identify with Troy, okay wow I better get my shit together, or if you are Corey then you know what uh, you know it, it, I think too many people unfortunately um, think that oh family's family and they have to like that's it well I think there is a side to it where like okay if you are if you know in in a situation like this. You know, break the family apart. And you know what? There's a way to form a family with friends. Sure. And create a family that you would actually want. 
Um, and I think part of it, um, you know, people are just scared. You know, mm. I don't think the movie's... I, I don't think what the movie is saying is the first time it's been, like, ever done. As you mentioned, like, it happens in real life all the time. I think too many people are scared to say, like, oh, you know what, he was a bad person. And I think part of that is is sympathy towards the fact that no... Like, if you, if you, you know, you could break down Troy in a different way of, like, he was so, so scared of what had happened to him that it, in his heart of hearts, he did believe that he was protecting Corey. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't, you know? So it just, it just depends the lens at which you look at it. And so... You know, if you look at Troy in that way, like, yes, the things he did were bad, but he did have, quote-unquote, good intent. And so, you know, I think they're torn with it, um, but they'll never know. And so, I guess in that sense, you know, it it just depends how you want to look at it. Uh, You know, this is their way. By by choosing to see him as a good person, (coughs) they can maybe move on with their lives and let go of the baggage that they've had. Because if if you hold a grudge and you say he was a bad person, well, now you're carrying around these bricks and you're letting him, in a sense, or potentially control your life even though he's gone. Mm. So So you're not changing like he didn't change. Okay, I can see see that. It's still like it's still very rough. Like it was just hard. I think be- you need. A th- I don't know. I like. Oh. It, I think after seeing this movie, people need to talk to a therapist. I don't have the answers. Well, I just. I'm not looking for answers. I'm looking for opinion. Yeah. Um. Again, I'll say this. This is why I love talking about movies because there are certain interpretations. There are sometimes when you know there, there there can be interpretations, and this is one that I think is worth discussing because I think it's such a. Again, in the context of the film. And what we as the audience are presented with, like, is it enough? Is it enough that he put a roof over his son's and Rose's head? And that's he, he basically that's what he did. I don't have to like you or, you know, I, you know, I don't have to like you, but I'm the one that feeds you. I'm the one that puts the roof over your head and damn it, you're going to respect me for it. But he was a jerk. Like and again, he had people. He had friends and family telling him, whether it's Rose or whether it's Bonner, like, Troy, things are changing. It's it's not like that anymore. It's not like it was for you. Yes, you're a fantastic ball player. You were great. And you got burned. There's no denying it. But things are changing. Look, look at what Corey's doing. And, like, this was Corey's ticket to education, which he was telling him he should get an education. And I was like, well, what's he missing? Because the correlation between football is football equals education, free education, because if he's being recruited, you can make a fair assumption that it's a scholarship-based to go to college. And he had this wonderful opportunity that even if he didn't pursue – even this Corey said, I don't really want to pursue football, but it's what's going to make me take that next step so I can get an education. That – Coupled with the fact of what he did with to Rose <clears throat> and the fact that Rose is responsible for the child, which she took in very lovingly, by the ways. Um, yeah, it's just it's just very I don't know. It was a weird thing. It's like well, what well, really goes back to your guy. point of he wasn't happy with the driver's job. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, he couldn't find happiness in his own life. Um so you know, in in that regard, consciously or unconsciously, uh, the the fact of 
you know, college was a means to get an education. Education was going to get him a his son, you know, Corey, a better life. And it was going to get Corey out of the house. Yeah. Uh, in that regard, okay, uh, Troy becoming a driver was supposed to represent something, and yet he didn't see it that way. So how can he have any perspective on anything if, within his own life, <coughs> this is the way he views the world? True. So, um, it's, it's, it's unfortunately one of those things. Yeah. No, I, I, I just... It was one of the things that I was very much looking forward to coming to Anatomy to talk about. Because at the end of the movie, I was like, the guy was a dick. And yet at the end of the movie, they all loved him. I'm like, but he nearly ruined their lives. And yes, Viola Davis and, and, and the little girl, she was, she was, you know, very pretty. And you could tell that she, under, under Rose's parenting, that that girl was probably going to grow up to be a good girl, a good woman, and contribute. Um, <clears throat> I just, I felt Corey was sort of tragic uh, in a way. Um, and, you know, even the other son, like that, that sort of kind of broke my heart too, because you had this other, you had, you had um, Lions there, who was this musician, and he was making his bones, is trying to become a musician. And and he gets this club appearance at at supposedly one of the top hot nightclubs in town, and he was he and his band were going to play, and he invites his dad to come down, and he says no. And it was right like you know it's right down the street; it wasn't far. And Lion seemed to be like a good guy, but it would prove you know? him, it would prove Troy wrong. I know, and but that's why he, he's the, it's, <clears throat> it's not that he, he the real reason, right? It's not that he couldn't stand to see um to see lines it's the fact that he couldn't stand to see him there yeah that's you know and yeah. it's a obviously a shitty way to live it's a shitty outlook on life it was just it was just sad to me and you know like the whole thing with the ten dollars like great scene right it was a really great scene and you wondered what was fantastic about it is because as persuasive as Lyons was about getting the money. Like, no, Pop, I'm going to pay you back, pay you back. There was something in the back of my head going, oh, he's, he's a welcher. Like, he always comes. The way Denzel presented it is, and I had no other frame of reference at that point, it's early on in the movie, is that he's going to get the 10 bucks, and Denzel's never going to see that again. And then he'll come two weeks later in payday and ask for another $10. Like, it seemed to be a pay pattern. Pay off two bucks and ask for 10. <laughs> right? It seemed to be a pattern. But then when he comes back and pays his dad, you're like, Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, and and he was married. He seemed to be happily married. Lion, lions. We never met his wife. I don't recall. But you know, he's a musician, and he's playing at the hot nightclub. And he's like, "Dad, Pop, come on down. It'd be great to see you. Just like you don't have to stay long. Just watch me play." And then again, you can it goes go. back to Troy got the promotion. Yep. And he wasn't happy. I know. It, it's it, it. You know. It's it's rede- He couldn't redefine what success was. Mm-hmm. Even though he had defined it for everybody else, sure, he still wasn't that. Yeah, it just makes that again. I guess in a sense, it's very Shakespearean, um, and it makes the it makes Troy's character more tragic. Yet his tragedy seeps into and affects everybody else around him. His tragedy builds fences that that um, people just can't get out of. And so. I, I think it's also reflect. You know, I think uh, more so than ever. Um, it's one of those that, uh, you know, when we don't 
when you look at uh, the U.S. and when we don't have to worry about food or shelter anymore and things like that, well, uh, then it becomes a matter of, okay, how do you spend your free time, right? And I think more so people people start to become introspective and whatnot, and I think this is a movie that uh, is good in that sense because it, it forces you to be reflective upon your own actions. And Absolutely. How, how much you affect people, you know, with your positive thought, with your negative thought, with your actions, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what 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 ultimately is hitting a chord with people. Yeah, agreed. Um, any other final thoughts before we, uh, you know, no. uh, bat it out of here? Bat. <laughs> we got the, the, the bottom of the ninth. Three men on. <laughs> three balls, two strikes. Uh, yeah, no. I this is a very it's it's an actor's movie uh, that, that is both Shakespearean and, and very and very powerful drama. Um, you know, it's definitely worth seeing. It's worth seeing, I believe, on the big screen, um, you know, and stay with it because this is different than what this is different from Doctor Strange. This is different from Rogue One. Like this is, you know, it's going to be dialogue. Pay attention. Watch. Listen. Absorb the performances that, that that are being showcased in this movie. And then after this movie, go see Hidden Figures so that you can really start feeling great again. <laughs> And see another movie with some great performances, but I believe that 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 fences is going to be a contender, uh, deservedly so, rightfully so. Um, and uh, I was, you know, I was happy uh, of being and seeing having the theatrical experience. Uh, my only my only quote unquote shame was, uh, you know, the woman next to me who caught me sort of kind of crying. I was having a I was having an emotional day. It was right after the holidays. Lots going on in my head. That one scene of Viola Davis, I was like, oh, you just busted me. And I'll uh, tell but, you but, a but I, you're but, not the only one. But, You're but, not the only one. But I do want to say, uh, uh, if that woman were to ever watch, thank you very much. You were very sweet and kind and patting my arm and comforting me <laughs> at my time of uh, a popcorn kernel getting stuck in my eye. Uh, so there you have it let us know what you guys think about the movie Um, we love talking about it but at the end of the day what what makes this fun is your guys' opinion as well Um, the more opinions the the, the wealthier the conversation I guess you could say Um, you know I think think it is good to have these types of conversations these types of movies warrant it Uh, you know as like Dimitri you could be torn about it but let's talk about it Um, anyway we've got uh, tons of movies coming up Um, you know speaking of couple of the archive ones um hidden figures we did um in fact just today so definitely check that out um a lot of the oscar movies we've also covered whether it's la la land manchester by the sea which i'm ashamed i didn't get to join you guys for that one but i would love to that's you um and on tons of other ones and uh patriots day we've got coming up we've got patriots day um i'm I'm sure there's so silence Uh, at some point there's yeah. so many movies so many movies coming out that we're all yeah. excited about Absolutely. before we even hit the, uh, the summer blockbuster month yeah. so tons to cover um, thank you guys for joining us um, as always it's been a pleasure at DMovies1701 is where you can find Dimitri you can support me please um, let me know what you think pat his arm <laughs> at your local movie theater <laughs> yeah uh, come by console me <laughs> uh, at I'll the let pop- you have some of my popcorn at the Popcorn Talk, um, check out all of our other uh, shows that we have on the network. Lots of lots of sh- great shows here as well. Lots of fun stuff coming up. Um, in fact, Dimitri's going to be um, at the center of um, a couple of them. So exciting stuff coming your way! We can't wait to announce. Um, in the meantime, uh, that's it. You know, so we'll talk to you later. So long, folks.
Movie Tech and the rest of the anatomy of a movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.